as we learn about mourning, about meals, about money, uh, we're continuing to learn about the laws of the people of God there in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, but really when it all comes down to it, you guys, it, it all comes down to obeying. That that's really what it's all about. That even when we don't understand, we are called to obey. And even when it doesn't make sense, like we would probably choose something different, we're still called to simply trust and obey the Lord. And you'll see what God does in your life. I wanted to start here in Deuteronomy 14, if it's all right. I wanted to start in verse 2 where it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people's or on the face of the earth. Here we see the commands from God, and we're going to look at it in chapter 14, are given to the people of God because you are set apart to God. We are to be different than the world. We're going to see today different in death, different in diet, different in dividends. But here we see in verse 2 the reasoning. He says, because you're holy there in verse 2. You're holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And you know, when you read the Bible, this is something you're going to see repeated over and over again because God wants to drill it into your heart. God wants you to understand that you're, just, you're not just anybody. You're not just another one. You're not just another number within this mass of humanity, that you are holy, that you are special, that you are his treasure, that you are the chosen ones of God. You know, and we don't have to go through the struggles that I think a lot of times we put ourselves through. We, we need to believe that God is on our side. You know, when we really believe that the Lord is alive, that the Lord is watching over us, that the Lord will give us the strength through any temptation, I think it changes our day-to-day living because a lot of times we struggle at home or at work or wherever it may be because we're not really understanding who we are. You guys, you know, I know we sometimes don't feel special, but you are. You're God's kids. And as a result of that, it changes our heart and it changes our behavior. Here we see the Lord, you know, giving this to the people over and over again. If you go back, watch over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Um, you see it again. If you go over to Deuteronomy 7, in verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Again, pretty much verbatim, the same thing. If you run over to Deuteronomy chapter 26, again, notice in verse 18 here, it says also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you on high above all nations which he has made in praise and name and honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. You see, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, and there's really three things that we see repeated here. And that is, number one, that we are holy. Now, the dictionary defines holy as dedicated and consecrated to God. Uh, Thayer's lexicon describes it as sacred, is set apart 
And that's who we are, you guys. That's what the Bible says about us. Uh, one expository dictionary said that these are those individuals, those places, those people who are set aside by Yahweh for his specific purposes. And that's who we are. A lot of times we think of holiness and we think of it more along the lines of the way that we act. And it's true. You know, you when you are a Christian and you're you're being holy, it changes your activity. But remember that rooted in that is not just your performance. It's just who you are already because of the blood and because of the fact we're going to see later that you're chosen, that you are already holy, that you are already set apart for God, for His special purposes. And He's going to use your life. He's so awesome. As you fall in love with Him, it's an amazing thing. You see, the holiness aspect was who they were. But question, how did they become who they were? And that's when you move to the second part of this. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for Himself. You see, that's who we are, but how did we become who we are? The answer is that God chose you. You were handpicked to be holy. You were selected exclusively for the sovereign. God chose you. You know, and that's a cool thing. And I just pray you would never forget it, that you would just let it sink in because it really changes your, your outlook on life, that you're supposed to be different because you are different. You already are. And I know a lot of times we're striving to get there. And God says, you're already there. This is who you are positionally. Now just be who you are. Walk in that victory. You don't have to get beat up by the enemy. You really don't. You have access to the power of God every single day and in, in, in every single temptation. And that's what he's saying. This is who you are. You've got to know who you are. And so he's giving all these commandments, and we see it through the book of Deuteronomy, but it's always rooted and it's always spread out with the truth. It's because of who you are. You're special. You're chosen, it says, by God. Now, unfortunately, the Jews were not humbled by the fact that they were handpicked to be holy. According to Ezekiel 16 and Deuteronomy 7, they weren't picked because they were, you know, the best people in the world. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 7, it says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. And, you know, God has chosen us, and it's not because we're the best, but it's because of the work that he would do within us and we're going to see through us. And what ended up happening is, generally speaking, the Jews became prideful when they really understood they were chosen and they became exclusive. But this is what we need to come away with. They were the chosen ones, but not that they would have a monopoly on God, but that they would have a mission for God. And that's why we're holy. We're set apart. Just like the, the vessels were for the temple. They were sanctified, set apart. Not so they could have a monopoly on God. They had a mission on, for God. And that's why I always try to just, man, tell everybody. You know, not everybody's called to be a pastor. But sometimes, you know, when I'm praying and I'm thinking about this whole Christian congregation thing, you know, every once in a while, I'll be honest with you, I'll think to myself, Manny, are you putting too much pressure on them? And, you know, I hope I'm not, but I just really want everyone to know 
the mission that you have and that you're part of the body. And then if we all catch that vision for the lost and you know to build up the church and to reach out to the lost, then God just begins to use all of our lives. You see, we were chosen because we have a mission. And the Jews, unfortunately, they, they missed that point. I pray that we wouldn't miss that point. I pray that we wouldn't get distracted or sidetracked in any way, but that God would use our lives to the fullest extent. You see, the holiness aspect was who they were. The chosen aspect is how they were who they were. And then the special treasure here is a description of the degree to which they would be God's delight. Again, look at verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You see, that was the Jews then. This is the church now. The Jews still have a covenant with God, and they're still special, but now the church has been grafted into that place. And as we reach out, then they become special as well. And as we begin to do the work of the ministry. You see, the special treasure is who we are. We read that often in the Bible. Psalms 135 verse 4. It says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. Question. Do you believe that about yourself? I know we're all messed up. But question. Do you uh, have faith in Jesus Christ, you know? When you're a Christian, He washes away all your sins. And the things that you think, you know, are there, and, and a lot of times there's a condemnation from the enemy, they've already been nailed to the cross. You're as white as snow. You are His special treasure. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. You see, you've got to know who you are, you guys. It's so important. It pretty much means one's most prized possession. It's the MVPs. That's who we are, man. The chosen, the cherished children of the Lord. Again, it applies to the Jews. It also applies to the church over in the New Testament. Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love. And first Peter two nine it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who we are. And then he goes on to say that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so before we get into the commands over mourning and the commands over meals and the commands over money. Before you get into any commandment of God, you've got to know who you are in Christ. Because what that does is it gives us fuel to live a life of obedience. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite illustrations of this is over in Matthew chapter 13. If you would turn there, and I've probably shared this with you a hundred times, I'm not sure, but maybe for some of you it's the first time you've read this amazing parable in Matthew 13, in which we steal the illustration of who we are. It says in verse 44 of Matthew 13, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, 
he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Imagine that. You know, this guy's walking down the road one day and he sees like this, I don't know, some shiny thing sticking up out of the ground. And he, you know, he goes over and he looks a little closer and he digs a little around and it's a treasure. It's just this treasure. It's so valuable. He notices there's a for sale sign on it. And so he calls up the number. He says, how much you want? They say, you know, we want a million dollars. And so what does he do? He goes home. He sells his house. He sells his car. He sells everything. He cashes in his 401k. Everything. And he goes and he buys that treasure. Because that's what he's always wanted. This is the longing, the desire of his heart. And that is who you are. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He sold everything, everything. He died for you. That's who we are. We're treasured. And we were there. And, you know, it says that he bought the whole field. And Jesus Christ bought the whole world. He paid for all the sins of all mankind. But the only ones that really will count in the end is the treasure. It's those people who received him. As a matter of fact, if you read the next parable, it's kind of the same thing again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. You know, a pearl is just a piece of dirt covered with that oyster stuff, right? And that's who we are. We're in ourself, no offense, we're, we're pieces of dirt. That's who I am. How about you? That's who we are, huh? But guess what? You're covered with the righteousness of Christ. You're created in His image. You're this beautiful pearl of great price. And the Lord sold everything for you. See? And before you start getting into all the commandments, man, you've got to know who you are. You're His cherished, chosen children, His most prized possession. That's who we are. And that's why he asks us to be different, you know? And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14 with that as a backdrop, I think it's so cool. Since God treasures us as his chosen and delights in us, we are to be practically, we are to be positionally holy and different than the rest of the world. And so in looking at our study today, Moses mentions three things specifically. Number one, Look what he says there in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 14. He says, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. Now, obviously, this was something that they were doing back then. They would cut themselves. What's that called? Emo, right? Is that what it's called? <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, they would do it when individuals died. And the Lord said, that's what everybody's doing, but not you. No cutting of oneself allowed. No shaving the front of their heads for the dead, for that's what the pagans did. And that was the practices of the pagans when their family would die. And God says, don't imitate them. You know, and, and the question, did they obey? And the answer is no, they did not obey this command. Later on, if you read 1 Kings 18, 28, it says, so they cried aloud and they cut themselves, as was their custom, think about it, with knives and lances until blood gushed out. 
Over in Jeremiah 41, verse 5, it says, A certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, from Samaria, 80 men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. You see, in looking at this, we see God gave them the command, Don't be like the world. We are to deal with this. What do you do when someone dies? You know, when a loved one passes on, you know, how do you deal with death? How do you mourn? Well, for them, the, the, the path of the enemy was to do what? To destroy themselves. And the Bible says that's the agenda of Satan. He's come to steal and kill and destroy. It's a self-destruction. You know, it's something that we end up, they end up doing to themselves. You know, nowadays, and I, and I wasn't messing around, you know, the, the kids, they cut themselves. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you guys, anybody ever seen that? They do that in schools. They do that all around the world. I, was, I went online and there's a whole bunch of information on kids that cut themselves. Ten different reasons that they cut themselves. Number one, they call it a disorder due to depression. Um, seeing them bleed, I guess, reminds them that they're still able to feel something and that life isn't over. I mean, there's a lot of people struggling with this. Uh, they cut themselves because it's a cry for help. Some people cut themselves to show others they need help in life. And so they need to find something or someone that can give them a reason for why they should be here. Uh, some cut themselves for attention. Some cut themselves because it puts them in control. Some cut themselves, they carve the loved one's name inside their body. Uh, they say that cutting relieves stress when someone cuts themselves Pain-relieving chemicals called endorphins are released to relieve stress or emotional pain. I read that a few different places. Uh, some feel like they deserve it. Deep down inside, they feel like they've blown it so bad that they need to inflict this upon themselves. Some like the pain. Some call it disassociative identity disorder. Ten reasons why, why they cut themselves. But what's the real reason? They're under the influence of the enemy, huh? What the enemy wants to do, you know what, if that guy can't take you out or if whatever, you know, that situation can't take you out, you can take yourself out. And I think a lot of our problems, we do to ourselves. You know, so when you read this, it's crazy. You know, it's not called suicide, but they call it parasuicide. And that cutting is addictive. And that cutting escalates and that cutting is dangerous. It says right here, self-injury occurs when people intentionally hurt themselves, often as an unhealthy way to cope with stress, anger, or other emotions. And how do you cope with stress? How do you cope with anger or even mourning the loss of a loved one? Do you run to the Lord? See, that's what we need to do. It's estimated that 2 million Americans self-injure themselves, although the numbers may be much higher because people who do this rarely advertise the fact. But there's so many different ways that they hurt themselves. They brand themselves. They break bones, sometimes using hammers or similar objects. They burn themselves. They pull their hair. They bang their head. Not heavy metal. They do crazy stuff like that. Um, they pick at scabs or wounds. They pierce themselves. You know, we see all these kids with these piercings nowadays and sometimes you wonder, man, where's the balance in all that? Is that part of the self-destructive behavior? 
Um, you know, I don't know. Pinch themselves. They bite themselves. They poison themselves. A lot of reasons. A lot of things going on. But it's just the enemy. You know, when you find yourself mourning the loss of a loved one, I was talking to this guy today. As a matter of fact, it was a guy that I met at a, a, a police dinner we went to a while back. And, you know, this guy was searching for God. We hooked up today. His sister died. And, and I told him that the only way to heal is the Lord. You know, and that's what we have to run to, you guys. We have to run to the Lord. The world does it one way. You know, they go to counseling or they go to drugs or they go to alcohol or they go to things like this. You know, they get angry. They get crazy. We have to run to the Lord. And that's why God says in Deuteronomy 14, dealing with mourning, don't be like the world. Be different. Okay? And then he deals with meals. Look what he says there in verse 3. You shall not eat any detestable thing uh, like escargot, um, stuff like that we're going to see. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat, such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales, and whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after its kinds. Every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And so we see here the diet was to be different. They're different in death, different in diet, different in mourning, different in meals. In verse 3, we see the overall command right there. It says, you shall not eat any detestable thing. And if you think about it, you know, this, I don't know, you know, we know according to Acts chapter 11 that the dietary laws no longer apply to us, but food, we all struggle with food, huh? We discipline ourselves, and it means something to God, and we're going to get into this. You see, this was a matter of discipline, food always is and in studying this is probably a matter of health as well and so there's some principles that we can come away with 
David Guzik said this, eliminating these from the diet of Israel no doubt had a healthy effect. And one of the reasons for the dietary laws of Israel was to keep Israel healthy. Do you think God cares about your health? Some people, believe it or not, they, they don't think so. They're like, well, God's not interested in my health. You know what? Uh, I don't know. I think He is. I think He's a lot more interested in your health than you might realize, man. Because your body is the vessel with which you will carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if He calls us home and something happens to our body and we get some type of disease, you know, because we live in a fallen world, that's a different story. But if you abuse yourself, you don't take care of this temple. You know what? I'm reading this right here. I think we got to be careful with that, you guys. You know, I'm not. We don't go crazy. Jesus said, and we're going to look at it later, that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, right? But what comes out of the man, because what comes out comes from the heart. But that doesn't mean that we should have, you know, quesadillas all day long, you know, chorizo burritos. Every once in a while, fine. That's cool. Have you ever had a chorizo burrito? <laughs> And you know, I, I mean, I love to go have pizza with my friends every once in a while, but there is something to this, you guys. There really is. I mean, I'm getting to the age of now. Some of you young people, it's not an issue, huh? You can eat like 17 pieces of pizza and you're fine, man. But when we get our age and you, you know, you eat a little too much, then you're useless to your wife, huh? <laughs> you can't do anything. You're dead. You're lying on the couch like this and you have no energy. You can't go and empty the trash and that's a sin. <laughs> I think we need to take care of our bodies a little more than we realize, you guys. God does care about our bodies. These vessels, they're vehicles to carry the gospel out to a dying world. And so take care of yourself. First, spiritually, of course, never let your physical health come before your spiritual health but take care of yourself physically as well you know and some of you here you may not have a lot of time to exercise i don't know about going to the gym to be honest with you some here you go to the gym and that's coolest between you and the lord but there's a lot of physical work to do for me i have a lot of yard work to do and that kind of is my calling you know but whatever it is the cardiovascular the things that god calls you to do take care of yourself man um, I, I, I know that, you know, we don't have a lot of time maybe to exercise, but we all have that ability to decide on what we're going to eat on a daily basis, right? At least grown-ups do. You parents, feed your kids well. Give them nutritious meals. God undoubtedly gave Israel these regulations to keep them healthy. As a matter of fact, I read this. John Corson said that in the Middle Ages, when plagues and disease devastated the continent of Europe, the Jewish people were singularly protected from many of them. Mistakenly thinking their protection came from magic or witchcraft, the Jews were persecuted because of that. But as time passed, we now know that the reason the Jewish people in Europe were protected was because of their adherence to the sanitary and dietary regulations found here in the book of Deuteronomy. And I know some of you are probably looking at that list and you're like, oh, I don't know, man. You know, it doesn't look that much different. You know, do some research. I have a paper right here. I don't want to read the whole paper to you, but if you want, I'll make you a copy. And it talks about some of these uh, things right here and how if you were to adhere to this diet, you know, certain things you couldn't eat, certain things you could, that it actually makes a difference. You can't, you know, eat the birds that were predators or, or scavengers. I mean, it's pretty interesting when you read this. 
And I just want to, you know, today encourage you in that. Um, take care of yourself, man, physically. Verses 4 through 6, we see animals that were permissible to eat, the ones with cloven hooves split in two that choose the cud. In verses 7 through 8, we see animals forbidden to eat. Um, verses 9 through 10, we see the permitted and forbidden uh, in the waters. And verses 11 through 20, we see the permitted and forbidden among the flying birds and insects. In verse 21, we see right here that they were to be a kosher and consecrated people. Right there it says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Archaeology has proved it to have been a ban on pagan practice. Uh, and we see that they found um, an ancient city whose ruins are located in the Syrian coast. And they've shown that it was a custom there to boil a kid in its mother's milk as a lucky charm. And it was for the infants. And so in reading this right here, God just says, listen, I just want you to be different. I really do. You know, and just that's kind of a litmus test for some of us here. Can you say no to, to you know, hot Cheetos when it's time to say no, just out of curiosity? Can you fast? Do you ever fast like, you know, a meal? Yeah, or how about a whole day? Have you ever done that? I mean, you know, and again, the Lord has to lead you. But remember, before we were Christians, we were, we were body, soul, spirit was dead. But when we became a Christian, it became inverted. And now the soul rules. The spirit, the body's last. And so you have to learn to deny yourself. You know, Daniel was great at that. Daniel was a young man. And if you read over in Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. You know, and again, maybe not all of this is health issues. Some of it probably is. But it all becomes obedience issues. And Daniel had that conviction and the discipline to say no. And like I always tell you guys, you've got to know yourself. I don't mean K-N-O-W. I mean N-O. Know yourself. Can't do that. Can't smoke cigarettes. Can't drink. Can't you know, do drugs. And whatever it is. And God gives you the discipline to be able to overcome. In Acts chapter 11, God said, Okay, cool. If you want bacon, fine. Go for it. You know? And if you want, you know, pork sauce, applesauce, whatever it is, pork chops and applesauce, that's fine. You can go ahead and eat that and donuts and Hershey's and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. It's not a sin ultimately. So don't get weird. But, you know, I think that we need to just ask God for the wisdom, ask God for the balance. He says you're supposed to be different in your morning. You're supposed to be different in your meals. And then you're supposed to be different with, I guess you could say the money. Because look what he says next in verse 22. It says, You shall surely, truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place 
which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year, and store it up within your gates. Notice, and the Levite, because he has no portion, no inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. You see, you guys are God's special people. You really are, man. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, You know, you're holy in position. And now God wants us to be holy in practice and totally different. And this is how the world mourns. And this is how the world, you know, does their meals. And this is what the world does with their money. But you're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different, you know. We don't mourn as those, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, who have no hope. We don't. And, you know, when it comes to the meals, we can discipline ourselves, and especially what we take in, you know, not just into our stomach, but into our heart. We can discipline ourselves. And then when it comes to the money, you know, we, we do it different than the rest of the world does. What do we do different? Well, one of the things that we do different is we give to God the best of the best. As Christians, we give God off the top. We don't give God the leftovers. We budget everything around, first of all, what belongs to God. It's all His. But a portion of it gets sanctified to Him. You know, here we see it's called a tithe in the Old Testament. And some say that, you know, there's no tithe in the New Testament. Well, Jesus said, you know, you guys tithe mint and anise and cumin. You guys tithe the the little mints. And you know what Jesus said? That's cool. That's good. You should do that. But don't neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faith. Tithing is, is a New Testament uh, training will. It's a good place to start. You know, you give to God what belongs to God. You give to God hilariously. You give to God sacrificially. You give to the work of the ministry. Now, we don't talk about this a lot here at this church, but I think that there's five people here who have $500. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> We don't ask for money here, huh? You guys know that. We hardly ever talk about it, man. But when it's in the Bible, this is what the Bible teaches. Not that we would want your money, man, because you know what? God's going to provide. We, we don't need your money. God is, not, God, God is not poor, right? He'll provide. But when you learn how to give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord, this is what I'm really learning. You learn how to be a steward. You have been given a stewardship. Do you know that? A stewardship with your gang. That's your family. A stewardship with the gospel. Make sure you tell other people about Jesus. Stewardship with your temple. That's your body. Stewardship with your talents. It's a gift that God's given you. And stewardship of the gold. That's the money. All the money that you make and you know that's there. It all belongs to God. And that's why we have to give to God what belongs to God Because it's amazing how that will change your life. The world, they spend it on whatever they want. But we can't do that because it doesn't belong to us. And we realize that. He says right there in verse 23, it's kind of interesting, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. 
How would tithing lead to fearing God? He says, tithe. Give to God the best of the best. Give to God off the top. Well, how would that teach me to fear God? Well, maybe if you're disobedient, you know, you get spanked, but when you're obedient and you give to God what belongs to God, it's amazing, huh, the miracles that he does and the way that he provides for you. One way in tithing is simply by giving to God off the top, you learn to put God first. You know, where you get your paycheck and before you even pay any bills, you write out your tithing check to the Lord. You know, before you even pay any bills and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I got to go to Starbucks this week, you know. No, before, right there, at first, and you learn to fear the Lord. You learn to put Him first. You know, the Living Bible puts it this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. You know, and when you do that, you see God provide. Again, John Corson said this, How does a man learn to fear the Lord? To be in awe of Him, to be amazed by Him, to have respect for Him? One of the ways is by tithing. Because when a person tithes, they begin to see miracles take place. I'm telling you, man, if you're having you know, financial problems, it's probably because of this. You know, and again, some say, well, man, you have credit card debt. You know, be careful with credit card debt. I want to encourage you not to do it. But one, the, the main thing is this, that you've got to be able to pay your bills. See? And that's where we need to be. And as you give to the Lord, it's so cool because what ends up happening is He blows you away. Malachi chapter 3, if you want to turn there, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And it says in verse 7, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. What does the Lord say? Return to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? And this is what the Lord says. This is how you return. Will a man rob God? Imagine that. You get a gun, you stick, okay, God, stick him up. Would you rob God? (laughs) You probably wouldn't, right? But he says, yeah, you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. I mean, that was, they were guilty of not giving the God what belongs to God. So here's a promise from the Lord, and this is what he says. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He says, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I'm telling you, man, that's what God does. When you give to God what belongs to God and you give Him off the top and you learn to live by faith and it's no longer just a natural income, it becomes a supernatural income, then God will blow your mind. He says He's going to open the windows of heaven and He'll shower down blessings upon you that you won't even be able to have enough storehouses to hold everything in. It just overflows in your life. And I know we're living in hard times. Right now, financially, things are difficult. But you want to know something, man? God has blessed His church. He has provided for us, even in this time. 
And you know, who knows? Maybe I'm preaching to the choir. I don't know. Maybe you guys are already doing good and you know you're obedient, but maybe there's a few of you who aren't. As we're here in God's word and we cover it, I encourage you to, to take God up on his test, to give to God what belongs to God. And it's such an amazing thing. What ends up happening is he blows you away. That's what he says right there. Look at verse 29, that the Lord, back in Deuteronomy 14, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. And doing that, they would have support for the Levites. And we see there in verse 28, not only was there a tithe that they would take to Jerusalem, they would take to the tabernacle, they would take to the temple, the grain or the animals or whatever it was. And if they were too far, they could sell it and then go over there and they could give at that point and have their feasts there and give to God what belongs to God. Not only that tithe, but there was also another tithe. Most believe it was a separate tithe every three years where you would keep it within your gates. And now you could provide for not only the Levite, that was the individuals in ministry, but also for the fatherless and for the widows and for the foreigners who were poor. And see the way God just took care of it. You don't need you know, the, the social programs that the government has to offer because the people of God would provide. And it's so cool when the Lord does that. And we see that here just all laid out within the Old Testament. Man, if we only did things God's way, if only we were a theocracy, man, we would be in great, great shape. And so in closing today, man, we see a few things. God says, listen, I want you to know who you are. You are holy. You are already holy. You're already set apart. Why? Because I chose you. I chose you. I want you to know that you are the special treasure of God's heart. And therefore, be different, man. Be different than the rest of the world. Different in the way that you mourn. Different in your meals and what you intake. Different even in your money. Give to God what belongs to God and you watch what he does. It will really blow you away. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. It's it's so wonderful, Lord. It's not mine, it's yours. And I know these principles, Father God, they, they, they work because they're you. That's the way you've made us. You're our designer. You wrote the manual of life. It's the Bible. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless your bride, you bless our church, and that you would continue to teach us these things. Help us, Father God, in all these areas of our life. Father, I thank you so much for the love and the way that you called us to be different because, Lord, I know you want us to bring you glory and because I know we must have a heart for the lost. We are the chosen of God, not that we have a monopoly on God, but because we have a mission for God. And we just thank you, Lord, so much for the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and has saved us. And Lord, I pray, just in case there's anyone here tonight, Lord, who doesn't know you, Lord, or if there's anyone here tonight who's maybe strayed or drifted, or they feel far away, Lord, together as a congregation, we pray, especially for the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter, the ones that are going through that difficult time, Lord. Tonight we pray that you would touch them by your spirit, Lord, that you would build up your body, but that you would also, Lord, reach those that are far, those that are lost, 
Father, I pray you give us vision. I pray you give us passion. I pray, Lord God, that you would do a new work in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. May you touch every heart here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.